This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong here with a fully caffeinated Mary Lucas representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you today? I'm on my second full cup of coffee and I'm fired up and ready to go. I will say I wanted um, some personal uh, dog updates as if not all my updates are dog updates. Um, Waylon passes therapy dog test and I'm so excited. We're going to start going out in facilities. So maybe you all will see us out in the community um, strolling around with our therapy dog. That is very cool. Real quick, how long does it take to <clears throat> train for and pass a therapy dog test? Um, it is on your own speed. We did it in six months, um, uh, in a really hard six months because he was rescued at at um, you know not that long ago. So it was uh, it was pretty intense. But it, it's at your own speed. It's not that difficult if you have a dog that is a kind of a working breed and um, excited to to be working um and whalen is definitely that but we're we made our you have to do these like observation visits and we went to one of the facilities around here and everyone called him whalen jennings the famous dog <laughs> um that really sinks in with dementia patients uh whalen jennings when you call him whalen jennings yeah. they're like the famous dog and i'm like the famous dog except he's not a dog i um, love it yeah <laughs> anyway anyway well uh there's no real transition here into our <laughs> Uh, first topic here on Aging Matters. So we're just going to jump into it. We're going to be discussing the concept of whole body donation. And we're very pleased to have on the program Amanda Middlestad, And she is the director of the Willed Body Program at High Point University. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jason, for having me. And thank you, Mary. Uh, super excited to be with you all today. Um, and Mary, I can tell you I have seen therapy dogs go through Woo-hoo. training, and that is some pretty rigorous training that they go through. <laughs> yes. um, we had a therapy dog at one of the firms that I used to work with, a funeral home, and they had trained him and her. We had two to grab a basket of tissues to bring oh to our families, wow. which is an amazing thing, or just, you know, sitting and resting their head onto hospice patient's laps. It, it really does you know, help that the family is so. I am so happy that you're doing that. Thank you for that hard work. Yeah, that is so sweet. Okay, we have a little more work to do on bringing (laughs) tissues to people, but we're going to get there. We'll get there. Um, Well, Amanda, we're super excited to have you on. And um, maybe first, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get to your current role and what is willed body donation? So tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So, um, as I kind of hinted to it, um, I have been a licensed funeral director and embalmer since 2007, so around 16 years. Yeah, quite a long time now. Uh, I began my career in Pennsylvania and was just fortunate enough to have the opportunity to move to North Carolina here uh, in 2011. And I was able to work for this wonderful family-owned funeral home called Cumbie Family Funeral Service in High Point, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so while I'm there, I had a coworker of mine. He was set to retire soon. One day he comes in and he hands me this piece of paper and it has this rough like draft of a job description on it. I read it over and I'm like incredibly stunned. <laughs> this job just sounded amazing. 
And it was for my role, the founding director of the Wild Body Program here at High Point University. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't know, High Point University is just known for its student engagement, mm-hmm. its exceptional faculty, staff, and just this unbelievable campus and facilities. So at that moment, I am like completely jealous because here I'm thinking he's going to retire and instead he's probably going to get this position at this amazing university. So like a good, you know, co-worker, I congratulate him, um, you know, and I, I tell him this is amazing. I'm, I'm so happy for you. And he looks at me. And he's like, no, this this is not for me. I think you would be perfect there. Wow, that's awesome. Six years later. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm still here. I love what I do. Um, now, you know, my title, I understand is kind of difficult for mm-hmm. people to understand when they hear willed body program. Um, some of your listeners might know my job better if I say I run an anatomical gifts program mm-hmm. or a body donation program. And then, you know, for those that maybe haven't heard those terms before, a willed body program or a whole body program is where an individual can donate their whole bodies after death to a university, a medical school, or a program for anatomical education, research, maybe surgery or clinical skills training. And the main goal of these programs, especially ours, is to educate future physician assistants, physical therapists, athletic trainers, doctors, and more about the human body so they can have a deeper and richer understanding of its complexities when they're treating their patients in the future. And, you know, here at High Point University, we like to refer to our donors as silent teachers. Mm -hmm. So although they're no longer able to speak, you know, through their bodies, the information that they leave and that they share with our students, um, they just become the most invaluable teachers to them. So that's kind of the the whole body donation. That's amazing. I have been a... I have been in a class, it was the hardest class I took in nursing school, um, that we had um, We had silent teachers. Um, I love that. Yes. That kind of gave me chills. Um, we had two silent teachers, and um, we knew a little bit about them, um, just enough to understand you know, why their body was shaped or why their muscles were different. Or um, So we knew just a little bit about them, and one was a 90-year-old marathon runner, um, and that was so interesting to see him next to, um, there was a, a younger gentleman, um, probably around his forties, fifties, if I had to guess. Um, but he was in, um, a very laborious job. And so his muscles were huge. Um, and it was very interesting to study them side by side and learn. I, I was learning at, at that time, muscles insert an origin and what muscles are, which, and, um, and, and really digging into that, what, um, that, that study was very helpful. Um, and it's something that not many people know about. So I'm really excited for you to share a little bit more. Is this different than the little organ donor symbol? You know, you you have it on your license. Can you be both organ donor and, uh, whole body donation? Are they different? What talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So, um, yes, you know, whole body is very, very different than the organ donation or the little heart that you might have on your license, you know, that you register at the DMV. Um, and I get this question all the time, so I love being able to explain it to our families and your listeners. So when you register to donate your organs, what you're doing is you're given a donation center permission after death to have your individual organs, sometimes your bones, skin, tissues removed, and donated for, say, life-saving transplants, 
treatments such as skin grafts or even some medical research. And those organs are going to go to multiple people and potentially multiple locations. However, when you donate your whole body, you're giving most likely one program or medical school permission to use the entirety of your body for anatomical education. And the best way to think about that or the difference is that with whole body donation, donors are training our future healthcare professionals. So just had you had mentioned, you know, seeing the difference between a 90-year-old marathon runner and, a, you know, maybe a 45-year-old labor-intensive um, individual and the way their muscles are sculpted over time. So it's really training those providers through that human growth anatomy. Mm-hmm. Um, now today, they get kind of expanded. We can train with like surgical procedures such as laparoscopy. We can do clinical skills training wow. such as intubation or suturing techniques. Um, so our in whole body donation, our students are working directly with that silent teacher, and they're typically with them over the course of a semester mm-hmm. or even more. So they're spending a lot of time with that teacher. Um, and like you had mentioned, you know, the, the more information that a, a donor can give to a student, so, you know, writing on their forms is more information that the students can have than to develop and learn. So yes, a marathon runner, what were their hobbies or activities and how did the way they lived their lives develop into the way their bodies aged into this, you know, this beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, so the downside of, you know, whole body donation, if there is a downside, would be that you can't really be both. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if a person, you know, has given the gift of their organs after death, unfortunately, their body is no longer whole or complete. Mm-hmm. And it makes it really difficult for students to learn where, like, like you had said, muscles insert or, you know, end, you know, where an organ had once attached to if it's no longer present or visible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, you can't be both. Now, there is a little caveat. You can be both if you wish to donate the corneas, your, corneas mm-hmm. of your eyes which is acceptable as it doesn't, you know, change that overall physical body of our silent teachers. Um, and, you know, if your listeners or someone is interested and they are registered with organ donation, you can go online to, I believe it's Donate Life NC, and you can, you know, specify what type of donation. So you mm-hmm. can specify only the corneas and I wish to will my whole body, you know, afterwards. Yeah, that's wonderful to know. We're speaking with Amanda Middlestadt. She's the director of the Willed Body Program at High Point University, and we're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online to Transitions Life Care. Dot org transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we have a wonderful guest on the line, and that is Amanda Middlestad. And Amanda is the director of the Willed Body Program at High Point University, and we're talking all about whole body donation and how 
this is a, a tremendous gift for students who are learning more about health and uh, anatomy and all sorts of different things that mm-hmm. uh, can help in terms of education. And Mary, this has been an enlightening conversation so far. It has. We were just uh, talking a little bit about how you can't be both an organ donor and a whole body donor. But Amanda, I want to dive in a little bit deeper there. Are there any other exclusions in being a part of this program? Great question. Again, that is one of our top questions that we get asked by our families. And yes, so there are going to be some factors that exclude a person from becoming a donor or a silent teacher. Um, For instance, if a person has a communicable disease, such as HIV, AIDS, hepatitis, um, sometimes MRSA, syphilis, at time of death, we are going to have to decline those donors, unfortunately. Um, weight can also be a determining factor. So if a donor you know, weighs more than 200 pounds or less than 100 pounds, we may decline that donor for like that traditional anatomical studies. However, um, weight may not be a determining factor if we have, say, a surgical or clinical skills lab coming up. I had mentioned earlier about, you know, intubation or suturing techniques, you know, where weight is really not going to affect that full learning. Um, So it really depends on the needs of the program at that time when that person passes. Mm -hmm. Um, The kind of other factors that will relate to um, if we have to say no to a donor, and our goal is to always try to say yes, um, would relate to how well our team thinks we can prepare or embalm a donor for long-term use. Mm -hmm. So our donors are generally with us for up to two years. And so we need to be able to, um, you know, talk to a medical provider, really kind of get that whole picture of their final days and and the physical aspects of their body to determine whether or not we think they are a good candidate to have with us for, you know, up to two years. Mm The one thing I will say, because everyone always asks, like, well, I have, you know, X, Y, or Z um, done. Um, is that animal anatomical programs just love having donors that have various ailments or diseases or surgeries or artificial parts um, because they allow our students to see that wide variety of patients that Mm. they're going to encounter in their practices. So exactly how you mentioned earlier between the two donors that you were able to study from, having a lot of those ailments um, are actually really good for our students. Mm -hmm. Um, The one thing I always do stress with my families, though, is that it is wise to make your plans known to your family ahead of time that you do want to will your body to a program. Um, You know, try to maybe pre-register that program so that way the paperwork is done ahead of time. Mm -hmm. But even if you do that, it does not guarantee that you will be accepted at that time of passing. You know, unfortunately, you know, my body today is a wonderful candidate, but in 30 years, my body may be completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really important to have just a backup plan in case a program is going to have to say no to that donation. That's a good point. So should you be writing this in your advanced directives or will differently to allow for whole body donation in addition to registering? So that is, again, it's kind of tricky. So uh, when we think about wills, uh, wills are generally read well after the death of a person. Mm -hmm. With whole body donation, we really like to get our donors into our facility as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. We generally say about 48 hours if they've been, say, in refrigeration at a hospital morgue or maybe at a funeral home's refrigeration unit. Um, After that, it just gets a little bit more difficult to prepare. So the best way to do that, um, again, is just kind of telling your loved ones. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of families, uh, for instance, may have told their loved ones, but they didn't make plans. They might have, say, a health care power of attorney. So in a lot of health care power of attorneys, there is a clause that says, like, the family can make um the disposition of human remains, or they can have make arrangements for final funeral or organ donation or body donation options. So, you know, if you don't specifically pre-register or, you know, talk to a program, having that in that healthcare power of attorney will then allow your family after death to be able to will your body a lot easier. Um, so it's kind of wills, not so much advanced directives in that, that way. Yes, mm-hmm. they, they can be very helpful. That is helpful to know. And does it cost any? I know you probably get this question all the time. Does it cost anything to you or your family to donate your body? Yeah. Oh, God. Great question. <laughs> um, so the answer to that question is technically no. It doesn't cost to donate your body or the body of a loved one to a donation program. However, some families can incur costs that are going to be related to the initial transfer of the donor from their place of death to a funeral home, and then finally to a program of choice. Um, Here at High Point University, though, you know, we wanted to be different, and we want our families and donors to know that we respect and value the gifts that they are giving our students. I mean, they are giving their whole bodies for our students to learn. Um, So for that reason, we do incur those costs for our families. Now, the only thing we ask for us to be able to incur those costs is that a family or a you know mem- family member or medical provider calls us at that time of passing or shortly thereafter. So A, we can determine, is that donor a potential candidate for our program? Do they meet our requirements? And if they do, we go ahead and schedule the transfer of that donor from their place of death directly to our facility. Now, there are some cases where a donor passes that aren't local to High Point University, And in that case, we call a funeral home that's local to them that can make that removal quickly so that way the family is at peace. Um, And again, you know, we are going to, our program is going to cover the cost for that family. You know, we're going to pay that initial funeral home. We're going to pay, you know, our team to transfer them from their, that funeral home all the way back to High Point University. Um, So great question. And it's really important for your listeners to know that when they are choosing a program, that's a, you know, that's a question that you want to ask them. Does your program incur those costs for my family or does my family have to incur those costs on my behalf? That's good to know. And you've kind of alluded to this, but I just want to call it out a little bit. Is there an age limit to uh, being a whole body donor? No, there is no age limit. However, you know, there is an age beginning. Uh, So at our university here, we don't want to have any donors that are younger than 18. However, typically you're going to see donors that are, I think our youngest donor was in their 40s and our oldest donor was 106. So we're kind of in the, the more upper bracket of that age range. It's good to know. It's definitely something that I saw, and there was a lot of benefit of having the younger person that um, that we were studying with, and and also the older person side by side because they were so different. And it, let me tell you, this is the hardest class that I have ever taken. Um, I did not do well until I had a tutor, and you stay up all night in the lab, and um, it is it is really really difficult, and you become really close to their story and what what the families did share with us. You come really close to that, and and it it really shaped um, 
a lot of my learning and it really I talk about it often when you know in healthcare when I'm talking to people about my studies and and um, and training I it's something that I mentioned because it was so impactful um, and you wouldn't believe how um, how much help it is in, in getting through school it absolutely is and you know for our students when they come in, they are, you know, fresh into their, you know, graduate programs and their human anatomy course with their silent teachers is the first one they take. So they really, you know, do kind of jump in pretty new at this. And many of them, you know, may have never seen a deceased donor before. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, it's a very intimate process, you know, working with a silent teacher in a gross anatomy lab, you know, and learning their intricacies from the outside all the way in. Um, so for our students, you know, I see this complete change from the moment they walk into the classroom and they meet their donor for the first time to that final days uh, where they're just, they've learned so much. They're so appreciative. Like you said, it is so impactful and they're completely changed and they, they do take their donor with them for the rest of their careers mm -hmm. and, and, you know, even talking to providers today, they still remember their first donors and, you know, they may have had a name for that donor if they didn't, you know, know the name mm -hmm. of that, that teacher. And it's just, it's someone that's always going to be with them and it's going to help, you know, when they think about a patient that they're treating, oh, I remember, you know, this and, and my, my patient, my first patient. Mm -hmm. So it really is impactful. It's a valuable learning tool that we, we probably don't give much consideration right. to and and we should we're speaking with amanda middlestad amanda is the director of the willed body program at high point university and we're talking about whole body donation and amanda we, we still have some questions for you do you have enough time to hang with us for one more segment absolutely i would love i'd love to perfect perfect we're going to continue our chat with amanda right after this don't go anywhere you're listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care it's your life your care on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf news talk traffic This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680, WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Amanda Middlestad. Amanda is the director of the Willed Body Program at High Point University, and we're talking about whole body donation and how this is a powerful learning tool for a lot of students. And Mary, we've covered a lot of ground so far. Mm -hmm. And I, I can imagine that people listening, maybe who are really not familiar with this concept, um, maybe a few fears might pop into their mind or concerns uh, when it comes to whole body donation. Definitely. I, it's something that, um, you know, I've thought about whole body donation and it, and only because I've experienced, do I know this, but, um, maybe we talk a little bit, uh, Amanda, how are you protecting the dignity of the silent, uh, teachers and, and their families as well? Yes. Yeah, so we do that 
uh, through a variety of methods, but I would say our biggest method is through communication. So before our students ever even walk in to our anatomy lab, we have an orientation that talks about respecting the donors, um, treating them with dignity and care, and to remember that yes, they're there for their anatomical education, but they were somebody's mother or father or brother, sister, aunt, uncle, grandmother, grandfather, these are very important people and they're giving very altruistic gifts. So we have to respect them throughout the entire process. So uh, we talk to our students, we talk to our faculty, and we also talk to uh, our staff. So, you know, myself and my team who, you know, prepare donors, who speak to the families on the phone before or after the death, you know, we're, we're using um, kind and inclusive and caring language um, and letting them know that we, we honor and value these gifts um, from the moment their loved one comes to our facility, we are going to take great care of them to the moment that they leave. As students are progressing, you know, through their course, it can get more difficult. Um, for some students, you know, when working with the hands of a donor can be really hard because they see the life that they lived through their hands. Mm -hmm. um, and when when our students may have difficulties, they come to us and they talk to us. And so we're able to sit down with them and maybe we talk about the donor's life from the information we have. And we, we let them know that these donors have chosen to give them this gift. Mm -hmm. That it is okay for them to make mistakes and to learn. Um, and that does definitely bring them some peace. They also talk to their peers about their experiences because, you know, for some their grandparents may be passing or, you know, kind of in that end of life care. So it can be really hard for them. So just that really strong communication um, from all of the stakeholders within the Wild Body program. We just, you know, we want everyone to know that we care about our silent teachers and we do treat them with respect and dignity. Um, at the end of the year, um, you do see that again, I mentioned earlier, the change in students um, we host a, a memorial service or a, um, we call it an impact beyond life service. And it's where our students get together uh, and they, they build this beautiful service honoring their donors. And we invite the families of our donors to join us. And afterwards we have this uh, little reception and it gives the students a chance to thank the families and to thank their donors for their gifts. And it also gives the families another chance to you know, learn about their loved one or to be present with their loved one, even though they had passed. And again, this could be two years later. So it's kind of closing, you know, or, or kind of kind of putting a final a closing on that grief journey, you know, since it's been so long. And at the end, during this reception, our students have the opportunity to like physically interact and meet the families. And I have to say my favorite moments are when these students and the families that share that silent teacher um, meet. And there's always tears and joy mm -hmm. and hugs and love because now the students are learning really who that person was from their family. And again, it just really hones in on respecting every patient for who they are. And it's not just a patient that you're working with, it is also their family. Mm -hmm. um, and one final thing that I, I do love, um, when we return, so we do return our cremator remains after we're finished to our families, and we have three options. So we can return the cremator remains back to the family. Um, 
just uh, last month, we took a trip to Wilmington where we scattered uh, eight of our silent teachers cremated remains in the ocean. It was absolutely gorgeous. Wow. And we are, yeah, it was phenomenal. We saw dolphins oh and gosh, uh, stingrays. Wow. It was, it was the most beautiful, perfect service. Um, and we are currently in the works of, of uh, planning a remembrance garden for our donors here at High Point University. Um, and we also have our tree of life. So when donors sign up with our program, they have the choice of remaining anonymous mm-hmm. or after their services, uh, we can put their name on a brass leaf. It adorns our tree of life outside of the anatomy lab so the public can see it, the students see it as they walk through. And again, it's that reminder, this is a person. You need to honor and respect them. That's awesome. I, I remember um, with our donors that we didn't we weren't able to meet the families, um, and maybe that was by the family request. But um, we all at the end of the semester wrote letters. I mean, my anatomy class was huge, and I mean there were multiple donors that were that we had. But we all wrote I, to my two donors. I remember writing letters to their family to thank them and and tell them how much it meant to me. And um, I, it was it was just a really impactful. We had we had a kind of a more of an internal service for them um, since their families weren't in attendance, but we all honored them even without their family there. And it was, I remember it being very impactful and something I will never forget. Absolutely. I mean, I think that is beautiful. And I know some of our students have done the same where they've, uh, you know, written poems or they've written notes to um, one of our classes, journal entries, so very similar where they write about their experiences and again, you know, at our memorial service, we are uh, fortunate enough to be able to have families. Um, no matter what, families or no families, I think having that service um, to allow students, because again, it's a very emotional process working with donors through anatomical education, giving them that space to open up and be honest about their experience just really helps them develop into a, a wonderful provider. Absolutely. So how can people learn more about how to register or where do you register and learn more about the program? Yes. So one of our uh, best ways is honestly to give me a call. That's my favorite part of my job is to talking to potential donors and their families. And so you can call High Point University's Willed Body Program at 336-841-LIFE or 5433 um, our website is also a great resource. Um, so you can go on our website. You can find all of our donation um, brochures, our guides, our forms to register. We also have all of the past videos of those memorial services I talked about, as well as our scattering service online, um, a really good facts page. So you can find a lot of information online. And that is going to be uh, www highpoint.edu forward slash willed body, which is W-I-L-L-E-D-B-O-D-Y, all one word. Excellent. That URL again, www.highpoint.edu forward slash willed body. Amanda Middlestat, she is the director of the Willed Body program at High Point University. Amanda, Thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with us and to uh, expound upon this wonderful program and opportunity for folks and families that really sounds like uh, is, is truly impactful. And we thank you very much for explaining this for us. 
Uh, you are certainly welcome, Jason. Mary, thank you for having me today and allowing me to share our wonderful program with your listeners. Um, and I hope that I was able to educate them about the amazing benefits that anatomical donation can bring to our students. You did a wonderful job, Amanda. Thanks again. And don't forget, if you want to share this episode with a friend or someone who you think this uh, would be an interesting listen for, you can go to WPTF.com, click on the podcast button. There you'll find Aging Matters. You'll find this episode as well as all of our past episodes as well at WPTF.com. We've got one more segment. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with... Mary Lucas, of course, representing Transitions Life Care, and we're going to be talking about communication tips uh, and focusing on being advocating for respite. Mm -hmm. And Mary, this is something that is so, so important. And we say this all the time, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it's it's also very, very hard for people to do because, you know, anyone who's um, been involved in any part of a caregiving journey knows uh, the stress that is put on the caregiver. And mm -hmm. a lot of times it's it's just so hard to take a step back when you are focused on the person who needs care. Mm -hmm. You need some care as well. And you need respite mm -hmm. in order to be at your best. Respite is rest. And, and you can't you have to be strong yourself to be able to care for others. And, and without that, you'll get run down and it, it can be very hard on you, but it's such a hard conversation to have. It's, it's something that's not easy. I was talking to my dad about it actually yesterday. Um, I was over at his house and we were talking about my grandfather and, and the importance of taking a break. And um, he's just started a rotation with my aunt and they trade off weekends on, on doing the groceries. And I think that that alone has been monumental in, in providing him a little bit of respite. But beyond that, I think I also had a conversation with a friend who's a caregiver and she's really struggling with this as well. And I, so I wanted to talk about it on the show about communication and advocating for yourself. You need a break. And that conversation's not always easy for the person that you're taking care of as well. And I think there's a lot of guilt um, and, and people feel guilty taking a break. And, but you have to think inward first and your feelings and what you're feeling and the, and the exhaustion and it is valid. And it is not a selfish thing to do. And I think a lot of people feel um, selfish taking a break when they're taking care of somebody else. And that's, that's a hard feeling to, um, to take on. Um, so there are some tips that I wanted to provide and some I've done some research on this and talking with my dad and others and wanted to share them with you all as well. Um, but first, prepare your conversation with intention. Uh, why do you want respite? Is it you time? Is it you need to take a rest? Your work is busy as well? Or you may have children, you know, the sandwich generation of caregivers is, is growing pretty rapidly. Um, and, and you may need to go to more soccer games or whatever it may be. Um, 
Do you need to hire extra help? That's something that's really important in a conversation that was um, really valuable for my dad and, and talking to my grandfather about it's either assisted living or we need to hire a nurse to help out. Um, so there, those are very um, uh, tough conversations, but it's good to prepare f- for those in advance with intention. Uh, research your options first. Find out what's practical. Uh, if private duty is something that you're taking on, look at cost and, and something uh, and schedules and things like that. And how will we benefit from you taking a break is an important part of the conversation. We will all benefit from you taking a break and being able to share why. Uh, and pre-planning will really help guide that conversation. And I think it's something that's really important. Um, I know we were just, Jason and I were just talking about even pre-planning for the show. Um, you know, we, we talk, uh, it's hard to have conversations sometimes. So it's always important to pre-plan. Um, second, label your feelings. Put your feelings into words. Write them down. Read them. See them. Understand them. I take time to journal every night, and it's something I didn't do before, but writing down my feelings and going back and looking at them uh, has something is something that has really helped me validate how I feel every day, um, and it helps me advocate for myself in, in other situations. So label your feelings. Put them into words read them, go back and read them. If you've had a hard day, go back and read a couple of days prior when it was good and and realize that it always isn't that way. So putting out your feelings and seeing them and understanding them will help you advocate for yourself. Then pick a time to talk. Don't do it when everyone is alert and in the height of something or, you know, right before you're doing an important caregiving task. Um, Make sure that everyone is calm and rational. No one's overwhelmed. Um, We're not right, you know, going to bed where everyone's a little bit drowsy. Make sure that everyone's awake. Um, So make sure you pick the right time. Um, You don't want to be hangry. You don't want your loved one to be hangry. I know that's not, I I can't be hangry and have a good conversation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So just pick the right time to talk uh, and really think about it and plan it out. And following positive communication is always key. Refer to your feelings that you wrote down, why you're feeling this way. Use I statements to share how you feel instead of you statements that place blame on your loved one. You, 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 you is a hard thing for someone to hear instead of saying, I feel this way, I am tired, and I, I need a break, I need to take a nap, whatever it may be. Um, speak very soothingly listen actively. Um, and, and listening is a key part of this conversation and hear the feedback um, that you're getting from your loved one. Take pauses. A lot of the times if you're dealing with someone that may have a little bit of uh, cognitive decline, it's some, that's something that's very important to take pauses and listen uh, and really um, get the a- active feedback. Then you want to share positive outcomes. Like I said earlier, what will benefit for this time to yourself? What will benefit the, your loved one for you taking this time? What will they gain? You'll be in a better mood or you know, I can cook better dinner if you give me a little more time to go grocery shopping or you know, there's a, there's a lot of benefits of you taking rest uh, and being more fully available when you are there if you're not as tired or you're not as stressed or you know all of these things kind of combine into one and it's important that you take rest for yourself and take this respite care. And then finally, create a care plan. You know, if it involves, like I said with my grandfather, there was nursing aides that we have. If it's working with an adult day facility, there's some great adult daycares and day facilities around um, that provide care during the day um, and, and activities during the day. You can drop them off and pick them up. Um, there, there are a lot of great options around us in this area. 
And if you're on hospice, like Leah said and earlier in the show, it's part of the hospice benefit. So you can talk to your social worker and set up the right volunteer for you. If it's you need someone to come into your house and just give you a break while you do grocery shopping, um, you can you can meet with your hospice social worker and discuss all the things that you need, and they'll be able to put someone in place to help you get a little bit of respite. Um, they also have a, a respite stay where you can take your loved one to a facility and have a longer stay respite as well as part of the hospice benefit. It's all provided as part of the benefit. Um, so if if you have a vacation that you need to go on and get away for a few days, that's a great option if you're on hospice. Um, also, if you're on palliative care, you can talk to your team there and they can help you find the right fit as well. Um, but respite is so important. And I think that people um, don't realize it until they're they're too tired and they are too worn down. And it, it is just taking it is very heavy and you don't want uh, to feel that way and get to that point. So taking them these breaks earlier and being able to have these conversations and communicating and advocating for yourself as a caregiver is so important. And it's not you should not take on the guilt of this and put those feelings down into words, validate them, advocate for yourself, and and really get the rest you need as a caregiver. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Uh, and it's especially something to focus on early on in a caregiving journey because I, I think – just naturally, uh, one, we, we have a lot of energy at, at that point. And also, you know, when you're speaking with family members and they're asking how you and your loved one on, your natural response is going to be, hey, we're, we're doing okay. You know, we're getting by. We're, we're getting through this. We're still, lear still learning. And you may be kind of conditioning your mind to think, well, you know, we got this. Everything's okay. But as you said, uh, you don't want to reach that point where it's you're overwhelmed and it's become too late. Right. To, and then everyone's going to be looking at you like, well, hey, what's what's yeah. going on here? You know, you've been telling us everything's okay, and now right. now that's not the case. So maybe set those expectations that, hey, you know, I'm okay now, but maybe in a few weeks, I I may need some help. That's a great point. You know, that that kind of happened in our situation. My grandfather, my grandmother died, and we were all all right there, you know. And I think this happens with many others as well. When when someone passes and their spouse is is still here, everyone surrounds them, and everybody was around, and everybody was helping. The grandkids were visiting, you know, cousins, family members from out of state. Everyone was there and helping. And it and it's also happens at holidays. You see it quite often around holidays when um, caregivers are. There's a lot of people around, and Christmas is going on, or Hanukkah, whatever it may be. You know, all the everyone is there, and then it's it's a couple months later when you start to feel this and not everyone is there anymore um, and it's down to the main caregivers and then that's when these that's when this is so important and um, I, I think that it it can go for a while before you realize how important it is uh, so just think about these things when you and advocate for yourself and have those conversations so you can have respite as well yeah these are wonderful tips and I, I think there's even some application outside <laughs> of uh, advocating for yourself for respite um, this, there's probably a a lot of applications for a variety of relationships. Uh, those are wonderful tips. So again, if you missed any part of this segment, you can go online to WPTF.com, click on the podcast button from there, Find Aging Matters, and you can go back and listen to this episode. Maybe you want to share this segment with someone who's in a caregiving situation. So uh, that's a wonderful opportunity for you. WPTF.com, click on the podcast button and Find Aging Matters. There. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. 
You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.